Hi there, and welcome to episode four of the Print Interviews podcast. I'm Colin Sinclair McDermott, aka the Online Print Coach, and today I am joined by Franklin Clark, a local Scotsman, um, not too far up the road from me. So I'll make sure there's a transcript available at the end of this podcast because I think you can see us breaking into some strong Scottish dialect. I'm sure along the way, Franklin, thanks for joining me today. How are you? I'm absolutely great. I'm really looking forward to this today. Been looking forward to it since you asked me to do it. So yeah, I think I think there's going to be a lot of kind of good points to cover here. Kind of there's there's a lot of similarities and. In both our backgrounds, and um, and I know from the conversations we've had, obviously out with this episode, hopefully there's some some valuable lessons in there that people can take take away from this episode as well. So, before we kind of get stuck in, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of uh, give us a brief introduction to yourself and Clark Printing, if you can? Um, as you know, my name's Franklin Clark. My company's Clark Printing. The company's been in its current incarnation for the past eleven years, um, which is kind of small form, format digital. And also print management, which I do quite a lot of as well. Started out in the industry donkeys years ago, went to the College of Building and Printing, just like yourself, but mm-hmm. I think I was there a week before you. <laughs> and took a fairly traditional path from there, got a job as an estimator in a local printing company, moved on to production control, moved to another company, doing production control. Eventually, after about three moves, I kind of start as a trainee sales guy, probably an account manager at the beginning, to be honest, mostly inside and then progressing to outside sales, which I didn't really think I wanted to do when I first started it, but the more and more I got into it, I knew that was the, the way forward for me. So after that, maybe about five or six years working for somebody else, I started out my own, started basically a print production company, started off with a B1 press, which was fairly unique in Scotland at the time. I thought it was a bit of a niche market. Kept uh, working away in the B1 and the B1 press, but the problem was it got a wee bit elderly. So then changed to a much more up to date, all singing, all dancing B2 press, and um, that business went for quite a while. Um, but I'm sure we're going to talk about that later on from what, from what you've told me. So. Yeah, really interesting kind of how similar our journeys are. Obviously, kind of went to the, the building and printing college as well, which is no longer there under that under that guise. But yeah, my, my first job was, was actually as an estimator as well. And from there, kind of moved into production. And um, I don't know if you were, you were the same as me, but I started to see all the, the sales guys kind of whizzing about in fancy cars. <laughs> and yeah, that kind of that kind of caught my eye. I'm, I'm sure that's not the way anymore. Kind of, but back in those days, kind of the sales, the sales reps were driving about in nice Audis and BMWs and Mercs. And um, yeah, that was kind of what initially caught my caught my eye to kind of go down the sales road. Is that similar for you then? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> and not, not only that, they, they could go out for their lunch or do whatever they want, taking clients out for lunch and taking clients golfing and stuff like that. Mm. I don't know if there's as much of that goes on. We used to have a, a sales meeting in a, in a little Chinese restaurant in Socky Hall Street in Glasgow. <laughs> if any of those guys are listening just now, I'm sure you remember. But I think that probably kind of paved the way for the shape of my body these days, um, all those all those kind of nice lunches and obviously taking clients out and things as well. But uh, the good old days, but yeah, I do think the industry's definitely changed a fair bit since then. And likewise, I think another similarity, am I right in saying your, your father was in the industry as well? It was, it was indeed. I, I mean, um, and, and I always kind of thought I didn't want to follow in his footsteps. Having been brought up in the country most of my life, I thought it was glamorous being a farmer until I started trying to do it and helping up in the farm along the road. And you've got to be up at five o'clock in the morning in the freezing cold, milking cows. And again, like you said, I looked at my dad and I thought, he goes to his work in a fancy car, he wears a nice suit, he doesn't, he doesn't seem overly stressed, although maybe mm-hmm. he was at the time. So, 
Yeah. yeah. In and out of printing factories all my life because my dad was directors in printing companies all my life. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. kind of got to see the in- inside workings of it. And I didn't actually realise at the time that I was learning stuff. Do you know, yeah. it was just, I'm going to work with my dad. And mm-hmm. you know, if he had to go to the factory on a Sunday to check up on the, the, on the weekend shift, I would go with him and stuff like that. Probably from about the age of four or five, right up to about 15 or 16. So There's nothing better than learning kind of hands-on kind of experience. <laughs> I, I remember like... My first week working at the printers in Glasgow after college, and I think I learnt more in my first week there than I did whole three years. I was at the I was at the printing college, so nothing nothing can replace the kind of the good hands on experience that you probably got there with yeah. your dad. And I think there's a chance probably your your dad's crossed paths at some point. I'm sure from from discussions we've had. Um, what's when I say my dad was my stepfather, um, but he um, he was involved in in reprographics, and um, and I think there's probably a small chance that they've at some point probably work together. So as it's becoming a tradition with uh, this podcast, it's always good to kind of get to know a little bit more about people kind of at a kind of personable level as well. So you've maybe heard it yourself if you've listened to previous podcasts, but I'd like you to share something with us that perhaps people maybe don't know about you. Yeah, um, well, people quite close to me know, know about it because I, I keep bragging about it. But, uh, Many, many moons ago in the early 90s, my brother ran an entertainment business and one of his jobs was to bring a celebrity to appear at the Ayrshire Hospice Fundy, which you might even have went to way back in the day in the early 90s. And he got the celebrity, it was a chap called Jefferson King, a.k.a. Shadow out of Gladiators. And uh, when he got off the plane, he decided he wanted to go for a night out before the Ayrshire Hospice Fundy, so... I was detailed to go out for a night out uh, with them, which ended up being a fairly epic night out. I don't really want to say too much about it. Suffice to say, when you get a big chap with drinking Guinness, Guinnesses with Drambuies in them, and if MD asked them who I, who I was, they just said, that's my wee brother. He actually managed to convince about 10 folk that I was his wee brother. Really? And if you <laughs> shadow, he's about six foot three, and I'm about five foot six, and we're both of fairly different ethnic origins, so I don't know how he managed to get his folk of his wee brother. It was a fairly epic night out anyway, that's for sure. Taking me back to the movie Twins all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so tell me, where was this night out then? It was in your hometown, actually, in Trin. Um, we Is that up, right? ended up in a wee, a wee nightclub called Pebbles. We'd been, in a, we'd been in a pub in the town, and the guy that owned the nightclub came in and asked if Shadow would do an appearance at the club, and he said, well... Aye, that's fine as long as my wee, me and my wee brother get free drink all night. So that was that was the deal done. <laughs> I'm going to have to ask you, but that's actually a, a friend of mine that's her dad um, would have owned Pebbles nightclub back in back <laughs> in that day as well. So I'm sure there's a few other stories there that will find out that you maybe don't <laughs> want to share on the podcast. <laughs> but no, that, that's that's very interesting. Obviously, kind of today we want to, we want to be talking about business related stuff, kind of challenges we've had over the years and, and lessons learned. Now. You've kind of touched on it. There's obviously a bit more to elaborate on when it comes to comes to your business. And um, I think one of the reasons I wanted us to have this conversation today is because we've both lo- lost a business. We've had similar entry into the, the industry, if you like, and we've probably made similar mistakes from the conversations we've had. And one of the reasons I started this podcast and, and went down the coaching role was to try and stop people from making some of the mistakes that, um, that I made along the way. So Perhaps you, know, you and I having this conversation might resonate with a few people and who knows, perhaps we can even get people to kind of change the course um, that they're on just now if we can help them in any way as well. So so tell us about that kind of back back in the day with your last business. I know one of the, the things that you mentioned 
was kind of having so many eggs in one basket. Kind of um, talk talk me through that if you don't mind. Yeah, things things were going along fairly well for a good number of years. Turnover was good, profit was good, and and a customer developed. He started off the guy kind of developed along the way. He started off as a kind of decent customer, but pretty much exploded. He was giving me hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of work per year. At the end of, um, it amounted to about half of my turnover, if I'm honest, mm-hmm. which is great. You know, and you think it's wonderful while it's happening and you're flying high and you think, this is just magic. There's, you know, we're flying along here, making a load of money. But what you don't realise is that that can all disappear in the blink of an eye, which is, mm-hmm. which is basically what happened. One day he just turned around to me and said, you know, I'm, I'm moving to work elsewhere. He was getting a better deal or he was getting backdated discount or they were going to buy him a car or whatever. I don't mm-hmm. know what it was he was, he was getting. But, and at the time, I thought, I don't care. F-U-C-K-U. I can survive. Mm-hmm. I'm tough. I've been through I've been through stuff. I'll be all right. So mm-hmm. pride kind of got in the way a wee bit. And I thought, I'm, go- I'm going to tough this out. I'm not going to let this get me down. I'm going to replace him with other customers. But the problem I had was because the relationship with him had evolved, my business was structured in such a way that I had too many employees, that had bits of kit that were not getting utilised anymore. And if I'm honest and I look back on it, the very day that happened, I should just have downsized. But I had people working for me that I valued and I really didn't want to be having a conversation with them that they were going to lose their jobs. So basically bashed on and tried to tough it out for, for too long. And by the time I realised that I shouldn't have, I was kind of... Well, I thought I was too far down the line, but naturally, in hindsight, when I look back on it, I wasn't too far down the line. I could have still changed it, but, you know, pride gets in the way, and many of the folk that are listening to this will probably know, and they probably feel as like your business feels like your child, or something that you've grown, or something that you've built, and you're really, really, really attached to it, and you don't don't want to admit that it's it's not working, and it's no... It's not happening for you anymore, and you just buried. Well, I did. I just buried my head in the sand and worked harder. I was working twenty four hours a day, some days, mm-hmm. doing doing crazy shifts, going out seeing customers all day, then printing all night, just trying to keep things going because you think it's the right thing to do. But if you actually stand back and look at it, and that's where maybe the benefit of guys like you know who do this kind of coaching, if People can confide in you, and, and you can look at it and say to them, "You know, this is no, this is no right. You really shouldn't be working a twenty-four hour shift, then sleeping for two hours, and getting back up again." Yeah. And maybe somebody out there. I, I would, I would say, from my, from my perspective, if you're in that position, you really need to talk to folk. You really need mm-hmm. to talk to folk to know what they're talking about because you can talk to your family and you can talk to your friends, but unless they're business owners. Mm-hmm. They're not really going to have the the knowledge to to help you or point in the right direction. Yeah, and, and you mentioned you you kind of looked at kind of downsizing and things like that. Kind of, I know you had a a challenge when you were looking at moving to a, a smaller property. Can you can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, I, I, I did manage to downsize to the extent that um, I bought a smaller press that I could work mm-hmm. myself. Downsized the amount of employees I had, sold a load of kit, sold a load of the finishing kit, realised a lot of cash out of that and paid off a lot of debtors. But the one issue that I did have, which probably is relevant to other people, is that when I took the lease on the unit that I was in, I took a full repairing and renewing lease, which mm-hmm. if folks know what that is, 
basically you're liable for the repairing and renewing of the building while, while you've got it, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But the landlord fixed me up with a new unit, a smaller unit. But when it came to moving, he said, that's fine, you can move, that's a new event, blah, blah, blah. But what about the dilapidations on your current unit? I said, dilapidations? What are you talking about? Never heard of it. But buried in the contract is that you've got to give them the unit back in the condition that you got it, which I was pretty confident it was in a better condition than when I got it, to be fair. Yeah. Spent a lot of money on it. New roofs over the 12 years that I was there. Little mm -hmm. shut doors. It was all in great condition, but they seemed to be of opinion that it wasn't and wanted a, wanted to have maybe a bill for £40,000 to, to rectify what, what wasn't actually needing done. Now, without any evidence, there wasn't a lot I could do because they would say, oh, this was this and that was that. So what my advice to anybody would be, if they're taking out a lease or a new lease in a place, check whether it's repairing and renewing, and if it is, make sure you get videos and pictures and everything of exactly mm -hmm. what condition the building's in when you get it because... There's some unscrupulous landlords out there that are just to hit you over the head. It's interesting you say that, actually. Um, I've gone through a similar experience with uh, one of the clients I'm working with just now. I think just kind of cover your backside as much as you can, kind of get as much evidence when you do move in somewhere just to, to make sure you're protected because because these things can, can come back and, and bite you, unfortunately. Tell me, um, looking back, going a bit kind of deeper on where my business went wrong. I don't know if there's similarities with yourself. Kind of one of my biggest challenges, I guess, was keeping on top of finances. Kind of it started off kind of I guess back in the very early days when it was just me. And I remember like being up in my, my kind of box room and I was up till three, four in the morning, kind of catching up with invoices because I hadn't been like I had some invoices that were three, four, five weeks late and sending out. And of course these things affect cash flow as well. But I'll be honest, like financial side of the business was never really was never really my strong point. And when I look back now, kinda nobody showed me how to run a business like kinda I was a salesman. I was I, I was a salesman who understood print, but no one had actually ever kinda showed me how to run a business and kinda how to manage the, the, the accounts, etc. So so I guess looking back it was it was always inevitable that I was going to have challenges there. Is that something is that something that you've kinda had challenges with as well? Yeah, I would say so I similar to yourself. You know you think by bringing in loads of orders and getting them out, you're being a success. But unless unless the money's actually in the bank, it's no, mm -hmm. it's not. A sale. That's one of the things I, I learned later on was the sale. The sale doesn't finish until the money appears in your bank, and it's difficult because when you when you used to work for somebody else and you were out selling, you didn't really. I'm not saying you didn't care when they paid, but mm -hmm. you got the sale, you put it through, you got your commission at the end of the month and you were as happy as Larry whereas when, when you're running it for yourself you've really got to be conscious of mm -hmm. what your payment terms are and getting them mm -hmm. agreed early with your with your clients and, and if they're not keeping up their end of the bargain and paying on time you need to have a serious conversation with them because that's that's part of the deal you know if, mm -hmm. if, you, if you were delivering a job late they wouldn't be long and saying come on one Franklin what's happening here you were meant to get that on Friday and it didn't come to Tuesday mm -hmm. so the same applies the same applies to them it's a two way street but I didn't realise that at the time somebody should have sat me <laughs> down and told me that. One of the one of the things I I had done was um I kinda looked at factoring as as something that I hoped was going to kinda help me along the way when it came to managing managing these things. I think it was, I think there was probably two reasons I went down the factoring road. One was obviously to help to help cash flow. 
and uh, and the other one was 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 really I was I was hoping that by having the bank kind of chase my chase my debts and um, I, th- I thought people would maybe perhaps take it a little bit more seriously because it was a bank chasing them and, and not myself. I know you used to factor factor your invoices at one point as well. How did you find how did you find that whole experience? Difficult, difficult. It's great in the beginning, as you said. Mm-hmm. It improves your cash flow. You feel as if you've got more more cash flow. Basically, you feel a bit more comfortable because your bank balance mm-hmm. looks better. It's all good, like I say, as long as you, as long as your clients are keeping up their end of the bargain. But if they're mm-hmm. still not paying in time and they're consistently paying late, it just causes you even more and more problems. It's a good system if you know how to work it. But again, somebody needs to sit you down at the beginning of it and explain the intricacies yeah. of it. Say your your one, the bank the bank's not really that interested in chasing the money because the longer your clients take to pay, the more interest the bank gets off of you. It's not really in the bank's interest to chase the money. Because they know they're going to get the money anyway, but the longer they drag it out, the better for them. So yeah. it's probably a, it's probably a, ne- a necessary evil for some businesses. You know, if if you're really growing quickly and you, and you need that cash flow, then I would say have a look at it, but but go into it with your eyes open. Because once once you start to plateau, as long as your business is on that upward curve, mm-hmm. it's all good. But once you start to plateau, you really need mm-hmm. to have a look at how else you're going to finance your business, whether it's business loan or whatever. Mm-hmm. But really don't want to be factored. I definitely think there is a place for it. I think um, for the right business, factoring is, 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 is a necessary must. I guess what I see, in, and the reason I wanted to discuss it on this episode, is I see a lot of people entering into factoring for the wrong reasons, um, because they expect it to be a quick fix. And I don't I, I, I kind of don't want to get down the kind of rabbit hole with kind of talking about banks and responsibilities, but certainly for me back in the day, it was far too easy. It was just far too easy to get money from these institutions. Um, I'm sure it's a very different model we live in now, but back then I was having overdrafts thrown at me, bank loans, factoring. Before I even started the business, I went for a meeting with my accountant and the bank manager. I had no cast iron orders. Mm-hmm. I had a business plan. Mm-hmm. I had nearly signed the lease on the premises and mm-hmm. I sat down with the bank manager, showed him my business plan, and he said, much an overdraft you want? I said, 20 grand. He says, we'll give you 40. That's genuine. That was in the year 2000. That's how easy it was. It was unbelievable. I'm sure it's not that easy anymore, but this is the problem. If you're in a, if you're in a situation where you're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul and you know, you'll do anything just to keep... Like you said, kinda, you're so passionate about the business. Kinda, it's not going to fail. You're going to turn things around when things get tough. Someone, someone offers you money to to give you an extension of another three or six months to, to kind of come out the other end, what are you going to do? You're going to bite their hand off, whether it's the right thing for that business or not. Um, and that's a discussion I have with a lot of people just now because you have got to know whether something is, is salvage, salvageable or not. Um, I'll tell you one great bit, bit of advice I got at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Don't sign personal guarantees because that's mm-hmm. when folk will fling money at you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's interesting you say that. That's a... Uh, that's a general rule of thumb I have um, nowadays. If I can, if I can help it, obviously there's there's going to be some times in life where kind of you might not have a, a choice. But certainly, if I can, if I can pay for something outright without having to sign a PG, then that's that's my kind of general general rule of thumb. Tell me, was it a was it a 
pivotable moment with the first business where you realised just how bad things were and it was time to it was time to, to call it a day? No, there wasn't really. Not not until I got a I noticed through the door through one of my one of my suppliers telling me that they were they were going to wind me up, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Not really. Okay. I was probably optimistic to the point of delusional <laughs> at the tail mm-hmm. end. So no, I didn't really realise that. But when I look back on it now, probably six months to a year after I lost the big customer was when I was really struggling and I should have either changed things a lot more drastically or just said, you know what, it's still working. I'm just going to stop now and I'm going to, I'm going to move on to something else. And how much of a, over that period of six to 12 months, can I, I'm guessing you probably dug yourself a, a kind of deeper hole over that over that time that you you then had to kind of obviously take some kind of personal responsibility for afterwards. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you, you end up, you end up, like you say, Robin, Peter, to pay Paul, probably didn't treat a lot of my suppliers particularly well, which is a bit of a regret of mine because mm-hmm. some of them were, some of them were, I'd been dealing with them for a while, you know what it's like. Mm-hmm. Some of them are your friends as well. So th- things like that, I bitterly regret, but at the mm-hmm. time, Say you feel as if you're getting backed into a corner, and that's, you know you've got to do do different things to try and get and get out of it. But yeah. generally, nothing was ever done with malice or that I thought I was mm. going to be ripping anybody off. You just you just thought that you were eventually going to work your way out of it. You were going to fight your way and get there, and everything was going to be hunky-dory again. But yeah. sadly, it doesn't always work out like that. No, it does not. And you know that's that's, that's never a truer word. Can I? You can I could have said that. Can I myself as well? Like. um as a regret, can I think to anyone listening here just now, look after your suppliers, can I communicate with them? Like, I certainly have some regrets over some of those relationships that kind of didn't go as smoothly as I would have liked it, kind of towards the end of, of that, that kind of first instance where I, where I lost that first business. But certainly, you try and do these things with as much integrity. Can I, you definitely, I think you're probably the same as me, can I, there was never intended malice or kind of badness. It was just, Purely a, a kind of a survival thing, really, to kind of do what you had to do, and, and unfortunately, we, we've I know we've we've spoken about this, like kind of it's business, and everyone's got a responsibility in these situations. Kind of, albeit the bad decisions fall with us, but kind of we all we all let ourselves get into these situations. I guess is is where I'm going with that, and kind of ultimately the responsibility lies with us. But kind of in a lot of these instances, kind of if people are like people are giving you credit and stuff, then. They're, exp- they're exposing themselves just as much as as we have, I guess, as well, haven't they? Absolutely. And, and another side to that is, I mean, both both you and I over the years have taken some pretty big hits from customers that have no that have no paid as well. So it's it's yeah. just two sides of the same coin. You know, you just got to you make a business decision whether you're going to give somebody credit or extend their credit past mm-hmm. their credit. You're, you're then you're then responsible for that as well. So that that applies mm-hmm. to you. Suppliers of, of the printing company as well, you know, if they if they, if they don't think you're a good business risk, mm-hmm. they should come to a point where they say, "No, I'm sorry, yeah, going any further with." No, I think it was one of the the early warning signs. Kind of, we probably had we probably had these situations as well. Uh, I mean, in fact, you know, tell me about your early warning signs. Kind of, was was it a case of kind of getting letters like that um, from suppliers? Kind of, was that where you kind of really thought, right, I can't, I can't, kind of go on this way? I think, I think that's that when you're constantly. Again, the fact I'm thinking you're constantly chasing, but you're bashing out invoices to try and get mm-hmm. cash in so you can pay your suppliers because you're constantly up at your credit limit or you're constantly, you know, like up at your credit limit because they weren't giving you, those days they weren't giving you 
a long time to pay it basically was that's mm-hmm. that's your kind of thing. You stick to it and you can't get any more paper or ink or pencil or anything until you until you do that and then if you end up running about with it with your kind of main suppliers, you end up running about trying to get somebody else to supply your plates or somebody mm-hmm. else to supply your paper, you know, just to get a few jobs out, to get invoices out, to get them factored, to get some cash mm-hmm. in, pay your suppliers and you just end up like a wee hamster in a field. I think I think for me it was a it was a, a moment kinda of, I'd actually taken on I'd taken on a new accountancy firm to kind of try and help out. And new things were, and new things weren't great. And um, I'd taken on this new accountancy firm because I'd let my accounts fall behind. And I didn't. I think this is a problem. And this this is probably why any of my coaching clients have listened into this. Like this is why I'm such a stickler for like understanding and knowing your numbers. Because the biggest problem for me back then was I didn't know my numbers. I didn't know where I was at. Like you should always. You should always know where you're at financially in the business at any time, but as close to as close to as you possibly can. And um, and I didn't have that and, and really I was I was probably six to twelve months behind kind of where I should have been and and knowing what I had to do. And by the time I came to sit with the accountant and they kinda of spelled it out just, just how significantly bad things were and how, how bad they were getting continuously month on month. The 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 decision was made for me and um it was a terrible um, I know, you know we're, we're, we're probably bringing up a lot of old, old you know, scars here, but I think it's important because if there is anyone sitting just now, kind of listening to this and feeling like you know, kind of that that relates to them, kind of there is a lot of the times where you can do something about it. Kind of you've touched on the fact that perhaps, perhaps with a different structure and agenda, you might have been able to do things differently and 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 and, and rescue that business, but. If you're not talking about it, if you're not aware of it, and if you don't have a, a proper plan in place and someone to talk to, it becomes very, very difficult. I, and I wish it was, I guess I wish there was more people for me to talk to and give me that support kind of back back then as well. Would you Would you agree with that? A hundred percent, I mean, um, like you said, keep, keep, keep your, you've got to know your figures. You've got to know where you're at. I mean, even now, I reconcile my bank and my accounting system every single morning. I mean, I was never doing that when I was had the business before. Mm-hmm. I could have like six months with reconcile on the bank, and there's just no way you can run a business like that. It's just a mm-hmm. recipe for failure because you don't know what money's coming in, you don't know what money's going out, you don't know if you've paid overpaid invoices, you don't know if folk have underpaid you. It just becomes a total and utter disaster. And if you're trying to go back six months and sort things out, mm-hmm. you're just not going to remember what happened. It's just not. It's not going to happen. I mean, unless your paperwork's perfect, you're, you're going to miss stuff. Absolutely. So get your invoices out in time. <laughs> get your invoices and and stay on top. Of it. Know what your where your business is at. Kind of know kind of what sales channels are working, what marketing channels are working. Do more of the stuff that's working, and and know your break evens. Like kind of know if you're losing money or making money each month. Like it, it does. It kind of it still terrifies me how many people when I first start working with them just don't have this stuff in it. And to be fair, it shouldn't really come as any great surprise because they're very much just sitting in the same situation that I was kind of back in 2004. Like, they, they, they probably came into the industry or kind of came into having their own business like because they were good at an element of it. No one comes into the business, the, the printing industry, kind of a good all-rounder. You learn as you go. And, and that's, that's I think, a lot, a lot of the big the big challenges. And certainly on the financial side, kind of, I know, We've, we've touched on this also. We spoke about a lot of this actually before this podcast episode, but you're the same as me, kind of like you pay up front for everything as much as you can. Kind of, yeah. I don't want to be in debt to anyone if I can pay for it. 
Um, I will do if I if I can't afford it, then then I maybe have to save up a bit more as well. Can I, obviously, I'm in a very different world just now. I'm not in a situation where I'm looking to get kit and things like that on board, so that's not always possible. But it makes sure the affordability is there before you do it. Can if you're looking to buy a new machine or can a new a new bit of kit of some sorts, can I make sure there's a justification for it? I see people going out. Certainly during the pandemic, they were going out to buy like new embroidery kit, embroidery machinery sales went through the roof during the pandemic, but they never actually sold like any garments before. Like this was a, a new venture. They hadn't actually proven that they could get the sales in before they invested yeah. in that in, in that in that kit. So little things like that, just make sure there's a justification for something before you do invest in it. Um so Franklin, obviously kinda of, you've you've since kinda of, come back and you've um you've started a new business in the print industry, kinda of, what motivated you to kinda of, kinda of start fresh and um and I guess how is losing the experience of losing a business shaped your perspective now and your approach to business? What motivated me to start business again was probably in a large part down to my wife because she knew I was good at what I did. I was I'm not gonna tell any any other lies. I was pretty I was pretty down at the time when I lost my mm-hmm. business and, and it took a bit to drag me back up and it and it and it didn't happen overnight. I mean um, my wife and a good friend of mine were, were probably the main instigators and just basically pushing me forward and nudging me in the right direction to to get up and get going again. But mm-hmm. but do it in a different way where I wasn't borrowing as much money to buy kit and, you know, like plow, plowing money into renting a factory and things like that, which to me was a bit a bit odd because I'd always worked in, you know, like there was always a printing factory there to go into. You could smell the ink, yeah. you could the machines going, you know, mm-hmm. and it was a big change. Although I, I did have a digital printing press, but you know, for me, I still thought, oh, I need a, I need a litho press, I need this and that. But mm-hmm. you actually don't because what, what you're actually selling is your knowledge. You're, you're not actually selling a product. Mm-hmm. You're selling your knowledge to your, to your clients, and and most of my clients, to be honest, stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had clients that I've been dealing with now for well over twenty years. So, so that that was a good thing as well, you know. That, that they had the confidence in me as well, as well as as well as folk close to you having the confidence in you. If your clients still have confidence in you, then that's a that's a pretty a pretty big step forward. So, yeah. I, I think that's the thing. Now we didn't have back then, like the trade suppliers that are available now. Even since even since Clark Printing started in twenty twelve, you know they were pretty thin in the ground then. The ones mm-hmm. that you could rely on. Yeah. Over the years, it's get better and better. I mean, it's re- really amazing the, some mm-hmm. of the trade suppliers you can get now. What what they can yeah. do for you? No, we're very we're we're very fortunate, kind of, and 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 I see that across a lot of the board. Like, and obviously, there's some businesses where it very much they can it suits, but um, to to have that kind of the factory, the prem, the, the premises, the the kit, etc. But I think for for businesses like we had, perhaps we might have done things differently, uh, and maybe not kind of invested quite so much kind of perhaps that that could have been spent more wisely as well so it's definitely something it's definitely something that you know i think businesses nowadays will, will benefit more from how do you think how do you think print business owners can can better equip themselves then to face the kind of challenges because obviously we've, we've had a tough few years kind of obviously we've come through a pandemic i think some businesses have shown that they can really thrive in in times 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 like that but there's also I've seen a lot of people who have really struggled then as well. Can I, what what do you think it takes to can I be successful in the current environment? I would say you need to be really, really adaptable. And like like you said, the pandemic kind of summed it up for me as well. You know, 
one day printing just stopped, but then it didn't really stop because you could get yourself into other areas. I mean, I'd never, I'd never supplied a, a printed floor sticker to a client in my entire life until the pandemic happened. Then everybody wanted printed floor stickers, so I had to find out fairly quickly where where am I going to source these from? What are they all about? It was a different mm-hmm. standard of them because there was a lot of folks selling fairly dodgy floor stickers that folk were going to slip and follow. And so you have, you had to make sure that you're, you're supplying the right thing as well. So be adaptable, I would say. You know, find find out about other things that you can be supplying to your client base. Don't be stuck in your ways. Mm-hmm. You know, don't, don't think you're either the person that supplies them brochures or the person that supplies them signage or the person that supplies them whatever printed products you've been supplying them. Get, get to know your clients. They will be buying things from other people that mm-hmm. you potentially supply them with. And, and they'll be happy for you to supply them because they already trust you. They already know you. They already know you're going to live up to your promises. So mm-hmm. I would say be adaptable and, and find find other routes to, to get more work. And that's it, kind of like you say there, kind of, they will be buying other items from other people. Kind of, I speak to a lot of people. We've we done an exercise uh, with a few clients where we would um, send a survey out to the customers just to find out how how well educated they were on the product offering that they, they had. And um, so many, I, th- I think, certainly in three three of the main occasions, like there was there was at least forty percent of work being left on the table with with customers because a they maybe had this perception of they were too expensive for that product or they just didn't know that they'd done it. And um, they, they had them pigeonholed as being a supplier of specific products and, and not that. So again, it's, it comes down to education. Make sure you're educating your customers on on what what you can do. But also, kind of look for opportunities where there's maybe products that they, they aren't kind of buying, which could benefit their business, and that's up to you. Kind of, guess we're not just printers anymore. We're kind of, we're kind of, we're becoming marketing experts because it's up to us to to show these people kind of what they should be buying from us and how it can how it can help their business. Um, it's yeah. our job to to show them what printed products can do for them, and I think that's definitely something that a lot of people could be could be doing a bit more of for sure. So what what kind of what kind of piece of wisdom kind of what's if there was one big takeaway from today's conversation that you'd want to leave with the the people listening, what would it be? I would say I'm a bit because we've been talking about some serious fairly serious deep things, losing businesses, what <laughs> I was really doing and all that. But what I will say is it's not been all doom, gloom, and despondency. Just enjoy the ride, enjoy yourself. There's no many people get a chance to run their own business. There's no people many people that have got the motivation or the of the determination to start a business and run a business. And if, you, if you're already doing that now, mm-hmm. you're miles ahead of everybody else. Just enjoy it. Enjoy yourself. But, you know, have, have fun while, while you're doing it and work with people that you like. You know, the, mm-hmm. one of your previous podcasts, I heard that divorce the clients that you don't like. What a wonderful saying. And, and I have done it. And I, I continue to do it. Um, but Because you just, you just can't have time in your life for negative people when people are good to like drain drain the life out of you, and, and that goes for business as well as personal. But this is a business podcast, so you know, I enjoy yourself and and deal with people that you like, whether it's your employees, your customers, your suppliers. That's that's what life's all about. It is. You, you have got to enjoy. It. If you don't, kind of, can't remember who phrase, coined the phrase, but kind of, if you if you enjoy what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Something along those lines. But and it's it's so so true. And, and yeah, we, this has been. It's probably quite tough for us to can un, 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 kind of earth all these kind of 
things that yeah. were probably buried away for so long as well. And I do appreciate you being so open and honest. There's so many similarities in, in, their, in their journey. You know, it's, it's incredible. You send me a bottle of whiskey to cure my PSD. What is it? <laughs> PSD. <laughs> that reminds me, it's your birthday today as well, isn't it? Yes, yes. So, many yeah. happy returns indeed. We won't, we won't ask you what age you are. Um, I'm not ashamed to say. No, I'm not ashamed to say. I'm 55. I said to my wife this morning, I've, I've outlived both of my grandfathers, so every day is a bonus for now. <laughs> At some point, can I obviously you mentioned in the way way back you were you were a, you were a farmer and things like that as well. Um, I know that you're you're a, an avid rugby player as well. Why didn't you get down there? Because you, you're good enough. You could have you could have you could have played. Well, well, that's played maybe professionally. There wasn't really professional rugby in those days. We were all told that. It was never going to turn professional and anything you were getting was in a brown envelope and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. sometimes I meet folk that I used to play with and against, some who have played at a very high level, international level, and they say, why did you not stick in? And, well, I say, I'm like, I wouldn't change anything. I enjoyed, enjoyed my time with my, my pals. Mm-hmm. I played a level of rugby. Like I said, played with and against guys who played international rugby. Again, it was all about enjoyment and fun and, and just having fun with your mates, but when I speak to the guys that did play international rugby, they did not have as much fun with their mates as what I did because they had to, there was just that extra wee level that you've got to buckle down and get out of your bed and go training or travel up to Edinburgh and go to Murrayfield and go training, so you know, ah, sometimes you have regrets, but you you can't you can't have regrets. I enjoyed it exactly, and and at least you've managed to beat um, a couple of players more than once as well. Am I right in saying you beat Gregor Townsend in two oh, games? Yeah. Played twice against them, one twice. Yeah, but then, then again, he's the guy that's stuck in. He's the one that's away <laughs> coaching in the World Cup. Lot of money, and I'm on a podcast with you. <laughs> I don't know what I would rather be. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure Gregor Townsend would much rather be sitting in your seat just now. <laughs> but uh, now, listen, I really appreciate you. It's been it's been a, a good, open, honest conversation. Can I think? I think it is important. But the people talk about this. Can I? This is this is the stuff that. People shy away from kind of the only want to talk about the good things, and like you say, you've got to like enjoy it. Like you've got to enjoy the journey. We are quite unique when we become business owners, and not everyone has the the kahunas to 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 make that kind of bold move. And yeah, I've I've made mistakes. I've made plenty of mistakes that I'm, as I said, not very proud of. But you learn from them. You try and not impact other people along the way. You try and fix. You know, there's certainly been situations in the past where. Like you say, relationships have been affected, not always intentionally. You try and do what you can to mend them as much as you can. But what an experience. And to be fair, like that makes us the business people that we are today. Nobody comes out and gets this right first time. It makes us stronger. It makes us become better business people. And hopefully we can, we can, as we've done today, we can pass that knowledge on. And, and hopefully there's something in here from our conversation that, that people can take something away from and maybe go away and do something a bit differently, just having listened to what we've had to talk about today. So so thank you for thank you for kind of being so open and honest. And um I'm gonna let you go away and enjoy the rest of your birthday now. I'm that, not, that, I'm not gonna wait to enjoy the rest of my birthday. I'm away to run some jobs to praise. <laughs> well that, that bottle of whiskey's winging its way to you to, to have a little celebration later on. But thank you very much, Franklin. We'll obviously kinda of keep this going perhaps Perhaps we'll jump on another podcast again further down the line and, and see how see how you're doing. But for now, have a have a great time and um, I'll catch up with you soon. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs>